Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of the Lead Hership Podcast. I have my dear friend Christy, and we are going to be talking about um, the just the topic of racism in this country and her personal story that she's experienced with it. I want to apologize about the sound quality with this last episode on my end. I don't know what's wrong with my microphone. I apologize. Sometimes technology is your friend, sometimes it's not. But regardless, Christy's sound is amazing. So just listen in on what she has to say. Share this episode with your friends. I'm so excited for you guys to learn and be more educated, just like I was when listening to this. So thanks for showing up. I'm that girl who will speak life into you, that friend who won't let you live in your crap. I will push you, encourage you, call you out, and show you your God-given potential. I'm Meredith Franklin, a wife, mom, serial entrepreneur, network marketing, six-figure annual earner, and this podcast is packed with tips and tricks on all things faith, family, finances, business, mindset, and more. I will be sharing stories of real women who have overcome setbacks while pursuing their audacious goals. Get ready to be inspired and get into action. Welcome to the Lead Hership Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited for today's interview. I have my beautiful friend, Christy, who is kind of my neighbor, but not my neighbor. Um, She is just awesome. And she, I'm just so excited for you guys to hear her story so that there is true transformation, so that things can be done, so that hearts can be opened, that ears can be opened on the topic of racism. I think this is, I don't think, I know that this is so important from the things that I've witnessed now being in a different state other than California and especially San Diego. Just what I, I've never actually, I've never witnessed racism which is, sounds so weird. I've never witnessed it like I did with you recently, which we'll talk about in a second. But, and I just really want to help the moms who are trying to educate their children. I have been, we just watched Just Mercy. Holy cow. If you've not seen that with your children, now mine are nine and 11. And we did cover our eyes at some point, but that movie is so critical and I might have the hate you give maybe for my oldest. I'll see if it's appropriate for my nine-year-old, but I'm excited, Christy, that you're here. I just really want you guys to hear her story. It is something that we may have some tears. We may have some things, but this is your floor, Christy. Welcome. Meredith, thank you so much. I just want to say you are such a phenomenal woman. I met you and I was like, okay, hold on. My family has the best neighbor what in your family? Just so amazing. But thank you so much for creating a platform and then also the opportunity to speak and tell my story and just to have someone, I'm just going to say, you being a white woman, talking to you as a black woman saying, hey, you know, I want to hear your story. Let's talk. That is something for me to pick leaps and bounds and understanding that there are people that care, want to know, and want to help. And I think more people in my family included need to know that because, you know, you have different perspectives, but I want to say thank you. And I'm so excited. Yay. Yeah. I know this one other lady I met at the pool. She was like, we need to know who are people who are safe. Like for our children, we need to know the safe people. And I was like, yeah, 
I want you to know I'm a safe space. Well, really for anyone, but like a safe space specifically on this topic. I got your back. Like I'm here for you. What do you need? So what's the um, truth? I'm like, oh, Meredith, that's the girl. Okay, yeah, hey. Well, we did experience, I did experience something with you that honestly shocks me because I've never really experienced anything. I was like, what do I do here? Besides, once you guys left, we were at our pool. Okay. We're at our pool and we all have keys. Well, getting a key is actually difficult because of the stupid virus. We have to make an appointment and you got to wait for your appointment. And so neighbors, when we first moved into this homes would let each other in. So we all have, we have numbers and I'm like, Hey, like text the neighbors. Hey, we're going to the pool. Want to meet us there? Da, da, da. And so we walked to the pool and I invited extra friends, like other friends who don't even live in the neighborhood. They don't pay the fee for the HOA. We were all in there playing at the pool. Well then Christy and her family and your mom, like I was like, it's the hottest freaking day. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And walk over and I run over with my key to let you guys in. And here comes the pool monitor. You want to tell it from your perspective? Let's do it from your perspective. So as my mom and I and my three nieces, it's so, it's crazy. Cause like the whole walk there, my niece is like, go into the pool, go to the pool. So excited. Oh, Meredith, she's awesome. She said, let us in, you know, we'll get our key when we can. And as we're walking up, you like run over and you try to open the, the gate. She comes like running, running, running fast. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, you can't do that. Or something along those lines. Like you can't let them in. You guys need a key card. Do you guys live here? Well, so you need to go get the car. If you can get it today, you know, we can't, I'm sorry. We can't let you in. And you were like, wait, are you serious? I remember you being like, are you serious? And I was like, so you were like, how about just for today? Can they just come in for today? They're here. They're going to have to walk all the way back home. You come back. It's hot. Like, just let them in. And she just, this is absolutely no, she refused. And so the way you looked at her, I could tell I was like, oh, she's, I wasn't going to be like, oh, is this because I'm black? Is this because we're black? Yeah, or, you right, know, we right, right. Here. Yeah. And so I just, you know, gave her the benefit of the doubt. And I was like, it's easier for me to make things easy and not have things escalate. Because once they do, you turn into that stereotypical view of a black, black people, black woman, angry, quote unquote, even though I guess you can't express yourself. And we walked away. We walked back all the way back to our house, called the housing front office, wrote a check, got back, waited for a little bit, gave her the check, got the key card, came in. And then she was like, that's all you needed to do. You just had to get your key card to, you know, I just wanted to make sure that you guys lived here. And I'm like, okay, here's my neighbor saying, these are my neighbors. But you know what? Anyways, just enjoy the day because my nieces were just like, that was weird. And, you know, that, that's well, the experience. Well, from my point of view, like I ran over and I was like really confused. I'm like, oh, maybe she needs to ask them something. Like she's run, she's sprinting her face off going over there. And I was like letting you guys in. And she's like, no, they can't come in. I was like, are you serious? No, you can't come in. Like I thought it was a joke. And she's like, no, they can't come in. And I was like, oh no. Like I was like right now during this time when everything's going on, like, is this really happening? Yeah. And I was like, why? And then she was like, well, they just need their own key card. They need their own key card, they, whatever. So then you and I make eye contact and I was like, are you sure? And you were like, it's fine. I'm like, this is not fine. <laughs> so then like you guys walk away and we both turn around the lady and I, and I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And she was like, well, this other couple, they like wanted to come in here and they said their kids were in there and they didn't have a key. And so then I let them in, but they didn't really have a key what if they would take your key? I was like, why would they take my key? I'm here. 
And she was like, you just never know. And I was like, I'm here. Oh, yeah. wow. I was like, and I've let you guys in multiple times and I've let other people. And I was like, I have friends here who do not belong here. These are my neighbors. Like I get chills even talking about it. So like me, I have this problem where that's not okay with me. So then I, I meet this other woman at the pool recently. She is white and has black children and biracial children. And so I was asking her, just, we were just bringing up the topic. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know as a white person, how to even bring that up, but I was like, how are you feeling right now? You know, she's a white mom with these children. And I said, Oh, this is what I said. And I would love to hear your thought on this. I said, Oh yeah, my son, he's 11. And he like knocks on all the neighbor's doors and he like, you know, mows their lawns. And she's like, I would never, ever let my son do that. Never, not at all. Never. A black man who's whatever, 10, 11, 17, ever go knock on a neighbor's door. And I was like, really? She's like, I don't know who's behind that door. And I was like, oh, whoa. And she's like, yeah, I didn't know this as a white woman till I had black and biracial children. Yeah. I would never. And I was like, wow, I've never thought of that. Well, then she goes and tells me about the story of her son who's playing football out front all he wants is water. He needs a key card to go into the gym to get water. His neighbor was going to let him in. And that same woman said, nope. And so she called and, you know, whatever, had her words. But it's just, and then she went to enlighten me. And that's why I want to hear all of your stories, because she went to enlighten me about her husband who looked suspicious, leaving Albertsons and got pulled over. And I was, she was like, Meredith, that's normal. I was like, that is not okay. Like, that's not normal. After watching Just Mercy, no. Yeah. Anyway, so I would like to hear just like how growing up, because you grew up here in the state where it's not as diverse. I mean, I'm I'm learning. Yeah. (laughs) And just hearing that experience, I know we're going to be going forward with hopefully she'll be reprimanded and, you know, steps will be taken to make sure that either she's not working there anymore or she realizes what she's doing it's wrong but just in the sense that your friend's saying you know I wouldn't let my son knock on doors and I wouldn't let my son those situations I can't um it's the same way I honestly with all black people like and people who do have biracial children or black children people who adopt children because of the history of this country and the climate of this country and the hate for some reason in people's hearts, it is dangerous and it's life-threatening. And my 16-year-old nephew, who is going to be 16 this month, you know, my sister says these things and we talk about all the time about how fearful we are that one day he might not come home. That, you know, same thing for my brothers, my both of my brothers, just knowing that, you know, something could happen and they could be at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong officer or the wrong person, the wrong neighbor, the wrong driver and just end up dead. And that is something that is terrifying to live through. It's something to just, it's just crazy. That on my point, yep, you gotta be careful. And you know it because of history. So whenever something happened, and I used to be very, not as, I guess I wouldn't, I would be just, like, I was much more guarded. When my family would talk about things, I'd be like, that's history. That's because of history, you know, oh, history. That's because this country has a history that we don't talk about. So, well, yeah, born and raised in Boise, Idaho. I'm in 1995, so I'll be 25 this year. I can't believe that. Um, 
time flies, but my family is from Haiti. They came here in 1994 in December. So I was the only person in my family to be born in America. And just my family came to America for refuge. They came here because Haiti was, first of all, it's the poorest country on the Western Hemisphere. But just a little bit about Haiti's history, it was the first Black country to get an independence and the only country. So I think it's ironic to see now that Haiti was, sorry, it just, oh, something just popped up on my Zoom call. Okay. I think it's ironic to see that Haiti was once, you know, this prosperous country that, you know, had so just beautiful land and Christopher Columbus before Haiti, it was Hispaniola before the Spanish colonized the Dominican Republic and before the French colonized Haiti, it was Hispaniola. That's where Christopher Columbus landed. And just learning that, like that makes that country's history so rich. And now this country is the poorest country on the Western hemisphere. And that is because of colonization. That's because of the agenda of people who want to take over that land and take advantage of people. But that's where my family's from. So it's so cool to be like, okay, my family is Haitian, my family is from Haiti. And this country, it's on the flag and it says immunity. And with immunity, we have force. So when you have unity, you can have that force to come together. And that's what, you know, the country did gain their independence. But then all of a sudden, outside sources get into your country and they will deplete you and bleed you dry and kill you. And that's what happened. So my family came to Haiti for refuge. They were attacked. My dad, they were from the poorest country or the poorest city in Haiti. It's called Cite Soleil. So when I went back to Haiti to visit, when I told other Haitians, I was like, oh, my family's from Cite Soleil. They were like, oh, what? how did they get out of there? Like, what? Like, you guys are in America now? Like, wow. And I was shocked because I'm like, mom, I didn't know it was that bad. We couldn't visit Stisolet. And my instructor who I went to Haiti with was like, mm, can't go there. We will end up kidnapped and dead. And that's where my family is from. So they came from somewhere that is just dangerous. And so one night, my whole family is sleeping. Some gangsters come knocking on the door to the wrong house, to the wrong house, thinking that I think it was my dad owed somebody money, but it was the wrong house. So they come in and they're fighting. They, long story short, shoot my dad in the back. So he has this golf size, like golf, not golf ball, baseball size hole in his back. So I remember him like growing up, like I'd always look that hole in his back and be like, geez, I can't believe he got shot. And he can't raise his arm past a certain, you know, height. He's a janitor, didn't speak English. So obviously he's not going to get a great job. So he's been a janitor and just, he has that huge hole in his back, but he almost bled out and died. My mom, um, tried to fight these people off. My sister got, who was hit in the head with the back of a gun. And so she does, Natasha has this mark on her forehead where she was hit. And my other brothers were sleeping under the bed. My sister and me, everyone else was, you know, hiding in their, their hiding spots. And my mom, um, you know, fights these people off. They hit her, they beat her, they hit my sister. Cause after my dad got shot, she came running out like, oh, dad, like he's dead. Oh my God, you killed my dad. And my mom told me, my brother, who I think was five at the time, sits up and he's like on this top high bed because they can't see him up high. And he's like, he says, which means what's going on here? He's like a little five-year-old kid, like what's happening? Like what kind of, I'm sleeping. What is this a ruckus? And they look at him and she remembers one of the guys saying, you know what? This must not be them. You know, let's go. And they thought my dad was dead and they left. And so my mom, being the phenomenal woman she is, with all those connections, you know, doing her thing, 
was able to get my dad to the hospital. They removed the bullet. He survived. He lived. And then she had a friend who had connections over in America. So she got her and her whole family green cards to come to this country. And that never happens because we have friends that, you know, they come and they send money for their children and they still go through this whole process. My mom came here with herself, her husband, and her five kids. And that is a blessing in itself. But if they weren't to knock on our door and come and, you know, terrorize my family, we wouldn't be here today. And one of my sisters told me when she was young, she's like, I would fantasize about America. I'd be like, oh, America, I can't wait to go to that country. Everything's happening. I'm going to live a good life when I'm in America. America's going to be so great. I can't wait. And then it happened and they moved here. And just fast forwarding through just living in this country, one thing my mom, you know, always talked about, because I remember when she worked two, three jobs and was just trying to make ends meet. And my dad, you know, just being the abusive husband that he was, being the, I hate to say, but just a terrible man, because he knows what he knows. So they ended up getting divorced. I'm so thankful for that. That was the greatest thing they could have done. He just wasn't capable of caring for us and just incapable of, I don't remember ever hugging my father or ever like, you know, we would serve him. When I was a kid, my mom would cook and I'd bring him a plate of food. And then 10 minutes later, I'd bring him water, eat in his room by himself. And then it was like quick little servants to him. And so that's how my family lived in Haiti. I was the only one in America that didn't have that whole experience with him. He never hit me. He never I actually told him if he, you know, were to do that, I'd, you know, I'm like, take me away and you'll go to jail. And that was like, and I knew I was born in America. I was like, I'm born here. I'm protected. So I thought. And just having that history and knowing that they came here, not knowing you know, the history of this country, not really knowing what was about to happen. So my whole family learned English. And then I, my first language was Creole, but then, you know, in elementary school, I learned English and took English learning classes. And growing up, my brothers were always in out of trouble. The cops were always at our house in this blue house on the corner, 2280 North Maple Grove in Boise, Idaho. The cops were there every day. My brother started getting in trouble when he was 12 and out of the system and out of juvie, graduated high school in juvie for teeny small minor crimes. He's actually in jail today. And he's gonna be, I think, 30 or 31 in October. So just another black man who's, you know, incarcerated for such minor crimes. And I'll never forget, I went to one of his court dates when I was younger. And there's this white man who walks in and he's an old, old bald man. And I'm like, oh, this is my white supremacist. Oh, he just walks in and he's, you know, the judge is like, hey, you know, you've been selling cocaine and you know. We're going to give you six months probation, but, you know, get your life figured out, get it together. Here's some, you know, rehab. And my brother comes in and this judge is instantly pissed off, instantly worked up. And he's like, oh, Harold, I'm just seeing you in now your whole life. You've been in trouble. I'm so tired of seeing you here. You're going back to jail. No probation yet, you know, going off. And it's like all those minor crimes he did. And here's this man before him who was literally selling hard drugs and here's my black under 18 year old you know brother just trying to you know wrong crowd selling weed and just doing silly things getting into cars or selling like just things that teenagers do but you can't do as a black teenager so I grew up and I'm just like I saw all of that and I know it was hard for my mom because she's like America was supposed to be this great country for us America was supposed to be this place where I would bring my family here and we you know would be free from, you know, poverty and free from all these things. And, you know, as time went on and she worked harder and harder and realized Monday to Friday, paycheck to paycheck, living life, barely making ends meet is hard here. 
your kids are always in trouble and you don't even understand the history of this country. So no one taught American history in Haiti. So you actually have no clue. So when I was in school, you know, always one black kid in class and not really having anyone to relate to. I remember learning about slavery when I was in fifth grade. I think you're like 10 or 11 in fifth grade. And things happened to me before I was in fifth grade that I didn't even know because I didn't know what racism was. So when I was in first grade, this little girl was like, oh, you're so fun. I want to play with you. And we can, you know, play hopscotch and basketball. But my mom said, I can't play with kids that have your colored skin. So I don't know what to do. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what's wrong with my skin? Oh, and I was like, okay, well, then we, let's not play then. And after fifth grade, and I, you know, sat and the first thing I learned was about Emmett Till, that 14-year-old little boy who was beat, brutally murdered. And I was like, hold on, this happened in this country? This happened here? And you're all these white kids looking at me like, oh, what's this happened? And I'm like, I'm learning it with you today. Like, I'm learning about this today with you guys. So I guess it happened if we're talking about it right now. I've never knew. What the, is that why that girl said that to me when I was, you know, first grade? Oh my gosh. Wait. And all these things started to click. Is that why the police are always at my house? Is that why? And I just had no, absolutely no clue. And so, you know, I've had people call me the N word. And, and there were times where I'd go off and it happened to my sisters all the time. And they're like, we're from Haiti. Like, I have no clue. Like, I have no clue what's going on here. Like, what happened in this country? And so just really having that lack of diversity is why I moved to the East Coast. And that's something that when I have kids, I'm going to raise them and just immerse them in diversity and know that, you know, differences and, you know, cultures and physics were beautiful and we're all loved by God and we're all created equal in his eyes. That is something that that's why I'm going to raise my kids. And just growing up in Idaho was crazy. And for a foreign family, not knowing the history and then learning it, you're like, oh my gosh, okay, well, America was supposed to be this great place, like, very grateful we're not in Haiti and hungry, because my family was starving, there were times where they couldn't eat, there were times where, you know, my mom was a hustler, she was like that woman, but you come here, and you realize, okay, this is gonna be a lot harder than I thought, because the movies made it look great, and yeah, living in Idaho was hard, living in Idaho, I know for my family now, I want them on the east coast one day, I'm not saying they're not gonna go with have issues of racial issues, but they're going to have diversity around them and they'll be able to understand that there are people in the world that are different and not everything, you know, is in Idaho. So. Yeah, that's crazy. And I know Jocelyn was saying kind of the similar-ish things too, except she grew up in a fully white family. Her dad was more out of the picture and she was just saying like, yeah, like I was learning these things with these kids. And then the teacher's always calling on me because I'm the only like person of color in the room. And she's like, how does that make you feel? How does slavery make me feel? I don't know. Like, why are you asking me? That's rude. It's <laughs> yeah. So rude. Yeah. And I just, this is what I go back to. And I think like, if you're listening to this podcast, like if you are a person with a heart, <laughs> that's what I just keep going back to. I'm like, who raised you? Like with yeah. the child who said, well, I can't play with you because of your skin color. Like who raised you actually? Like, yeah. let's go back and like, let's talk to those parents. Let's talk to the grandparents because like, what is actually wrong with you? But as I'm learning, literally learning, we, our nation was created, like it was like developed on these injustices. And so, I mean, honestly, like, here's what's so weird to me is like learning 
in school, I'm relearning and I'm having to educate my kids, which is so backwards. Like our kids are being taught and we were taught in America a certain way with history. And then I'm like finding out, like I went through this Instagram thing of all these black people who just like one invented a car before Ford and one invented like all these, I'm like, wait, what? Like there's, why were we never told this? Like we're being lied to totally. Yeah. It's like, or anyways, I'm just, my kids and I are like, our minds are kind of blown. Like, yeah, I, I just saw today this woman, this older woman, I don't know her name. She's showing the U S map. And what we are taught in school, I will send it to you. It's fascinating. Yeah, my so it shows on the U.S. map, like Alaska is bigger than Mexico, shows Greenland, huge. And then there's South America and South America is mm-hmm. small. And it says in the little box, South America is nine times the size of Greenland. Well, why is Greenland this big? And then it shows all, so that, I mean, South America is huge and yeah. Canada is small and all these places are small, but it doesn't show that not in our textbook. So she shows the actual size of the real map and everything. And then she said she did this presentation with a bunch of these people. And this white man said, no, North America is not in the center. She's like, yeah, it's not like, she was like, that's the point. And it's not bigger than South America. And it's not bigger than all these other places. So it's like, what? Like, because we don't know. We, our blueprint is what we are taught. So we don't know anything different. And so like learning in school and you think that this is truth. You think these are facts and like they're true facts. And it's like, now we're like having to relearn all this stuff. And I'm just hoping my kids, and it's going to take us as parents to help like re what's the word, like re wire them. Yeah. Literally, you know, like, I mean, and that's the thing too, is like my kids and I've, I want you to address this thought because my kids said to me, why are we talking about this? And I was like, because they do have black friends. So they're like, okay, mom, why are we talking about this? Like, kind of like, they're my friends. Like, why would I think of them differently? And so when you address it, I had a friend who addressed this with her white, his and her white children. And they were like, wait, I'm white. Like they did not like, and I don't want to say they didn't see color because that's like, color's beautiful. And like, that's how God yeah. designed us for a reason. Yeah. So, you know, but like, it's almost like they, awoke them to this injustice and it's like oh shoot like I don't now want them to think of people differently you know so what do you want to say about that because like I think we should talk about this yeah what do you think about that like having the conversation with your white children I think it is such a hard topic because inevitably we do not teach history accurately. The fact that we have a black history month, I was thinking of this today. That could we have a black history month. Just why do we, it's history. Don't, it's oh, black history. Why do we have to put black in front of history that it's history? Why is it that, you know, compartmentalized in this country where you put African-American, but then it's Caucasian. Like, why is it that we are just continually put into these boxes and just sectioned and obviously because this History, slavery is so vile. Lynching picnics, 
cutting off, you know, body parts of a black person that was lynched and shipping it to family members as memorabilia. Just, oh my gosh, it is so bad. It makes me nauseous learning about just like movements in the medical field and how it was at the detriment of slaves. Like, you know, the thought that black people didn't feel pain and all, and that's just seeing that, how that's impacted the coronavirus today. And it makes me sick. But just in the fact that we do not teach history adequately because we are not in charge of how history is taught. And a lot of black people also don't know their history. And it's hard to know your history when you don't know your roots. What tribe, where were you taken from in Africa? Where were you sold? Like, where, where are you from? And we do not know. Talking to my mom and I'm like, hey, when slaves were brought to Haiti, you, were they, was it like the Congo? Was it like, wait, and we cannot trace it back. We don't know our history. But white people can say, oh, Ireland and oh, yeah, I'm Scottish. And it's easy. And for us, it's like, oh my gosh, we really have no clue. And to move forward, history needs to be taught adequately. And if you don't even know your history and then you're compartmentalized into black history, and here's a 29 days of the shortest month of the year dedicated to black history and we really don't even learn that much anyways that's the truth it's so hard because i think in the education system because dominantly you know the public school system is where the majority of the contributing people in the society so kids that are learning today about history are going to become adults they are going to be these you know clueless adults to the truth and you know in the reforms of education oh my gosh, history needs to be taught adequately so we can move forward past history. Because if we do not know any history and it's true and it's oh terrifying, just disgusting truth, there's no way to move forward. And I think for white families and mothers who are talking to their children and, you know, things happen and change happens and, you know, your house first before it happens in the White House. And to teach that first, we have to have a basis of the correct information. And it is hard to find because it's not being taught. And I, the conversation needs to be had. Um, and my nieces, they're nine. And I'll talk to you a little bit about my sister's case because my sister was killed by a white man. And it was very, you know, everyone treated it very casually as if she was less than an animal. And as a black woman. And so my nieces, I sat down with them before I flew back to New York and I was like, Hey guys, like we've been talking about race a lot, protests a lot and all these things a lot. So I just want to talk to you really quick about, oh, I hate to sit and talk to you guys about this, but you know, your skin color is beautiful. Right. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know that there are people in this country around the world for some reason that may treat you differently because of that. Have you, you know, is that thought, you know, have you ever heard that before? And they're like, mm, like slavery. And, you know, I didn't know what slavery was when I was nine. So I'm like, okay, like, what do you, like, brainstorm with them? What do you guys know? And they're like, so we get treated different because our skin's brown. And one of my nieces is like, I don't understand. And I'm like, and I can't really explain it either. But I want you guys to know that a lot of this stuff is happening, but we're moving forward. And, you know, you guys are very young. So I just want you to know that, you know, this world is kind of crazy. But, you know, God puts hardships into our life because we can handle them and we can move forward past them. And we can then become those testimonies to people who need to look up to someone because we each have a purpose and everything happens for a reason. And the way you move forward past it is how you'll persevere in this life. But you guys are nine. So I want you guys to know that we're going to talk about this more, but just know that you guys are beautiful. Know that no matter what anybody says, 
you're phenomenal. And, you know, I was like, and they're just jealous. I was like, you know what? They're just jealous because you're awesome. And they're just jealous. And don't ever let anyone tell you you're less than anything that you are. And, you know, there are good people in the world. And I said, I was like, Meredith, she's a phenomenal white woman. Like, know that whatever you hear, don't ever think all of something is the truth. Like, all cops are bad. All Black people are this. All white people are racist. Don't think that way because that is not the truth. And then they're like, okay. And they went and played. And that was literally it. So first of all, we need the right truth. So you're watching these movies, you're educating your children. And until the time comes where, you know, we really are able to be a part in history, not black history. We just need to call it history. It's the history of this country. Um, then, you know, we'll be able to move forward. And that takes a lot of voting. It takes a lot of education, it takes a lot of local voting and understanding of how this system works, how the Constitution works. I think that's not, no one's going to change the Constitution. That is, you know, no one's going to. So, but you're doing a phenomenal job with the resources that you have because these documentaries and those things that are published that you can sit and watch and conversate about versus sometimes articles. It's hard. Like, where is, who wrote this? Who's the source of information coming from? But if you can just sit and watch documentaries and do that and ask questions and have conversations, that is where it sucks to teach it to young children but you know at the age of nine and ten when they start noticing things then being aware like your son <laughs> knowing wait are they being racist at the pool like he knew that and there are kids that don't even you know 17 18 year old adults that wouldn't be able to identify that and we need people that are white that can identify injustice to speak up yeah. And that's really honestly what I want to impart on my kids. Any injustice that they see, anyone who seems to be different and there is an injustice done, like you, the voice, you need to stand up. Not that you're the only voice, but you, if you're seeing your kid, be, your friend being bullied or whatever, you better be the one that's going to stand up and like do the right thing here, no matter what. Like, that's truly what I want for my kids. My mom messaged me because she listened to my podcast with Jocelyn and she's like, you didn't mention your grandpa. And I was like, I don't remember. Like, she's like, you used to kick him out of the house. Cause my, my grandpa was super racist. And she's like, you used to kick him out of the house and be like, you need to leave. Stop right now. You need to leave. And I was like, I think I blacked that out. Like, oh, wow. I swear. I think she's like, you would not stand for his talk and you would just get him. Right. I was like, well, good for me. Hey. So if I can like get my kids to be like that with their friends, family, I mean, elderly, whatever, and be like, no, we don't stand for that. That's not okay. And shut it down where it's at. So I'm like glad my son spotted it, but yeah, I mean, it's really sad. That, yeah. You know, so I was going to ask if you want to go into, you know, what happened with your sister. I know like everything that you've said so far, it's just like, it just breaks my heart that we're that you know, you came here for like a new life and all this, whatever, and it's okay. So there are some screwed up things that, I mean, the thing is, I want everyone to hear is she's not the only one who's yeah. saying these things. Like I genuinely just met another woman who had these things happen to her husband. So like not exactly the same things, but I mean, her kids are followed in the stores. They will not like they're followed. And she's like, I'm with my kids and my kids are followed. Like we don't let them go to the mall alone. Like there's these things that as a white woman, 
I mean, I was young. My parents dropped me off at the mall all the time. Just walk around. You know, I mean, I wouldn't do that these days anyways because of kidnappings, but like, just, you know, like it's so different. And I think we need to, I didn't know, I guess I didn't, I truly didn't know. And like you're saying history, yet we, we don't know it's hard to find. And so I'm so thankful, honestly, for like Netflix and Amazon, they're putting out these mm-hmm. things and I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> what? So it's so enlightening, really horrible and sad. So the more you know, the better you do. So, I mean, if you want to share the injustice about your sister, you are free to. Yeah. Thank you so much. So my sister, Monique Million, was a 33 years old, but her life was taken um, by a white man. And she was walking on the sidewalk and he was under copious amounts of drugs. And he jumped the curb on the sidewalk, hit her, and she died instantly. That is what happened on October 1st, 2017. And I don't, because my sister was living with my mom at the time, and, you know, life gets crazy, so you go home. Things get crazy, you go home. Mom, you know, help me. You know, life's hard. You know, my mom's always taking, you're there with your kids. You take them back in. And so my sister was living with my mom and my other sister at the time and her kids. And Bella, Jolie, Ozzy, my, yeah, my nieces and nephews, and Junior. And I was in school at Oregon State. So just backstory about Mani, she grew up just so passionate about so many things, but so opinionated and so just like, you know, oh, okay, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need bad time. So I was like, oh, so that you know, like, you know, she knew that she wanted to do big things in this world. And when I was a kid, she was my second mom. I actually, when I was born, because you know, I was the youngest of, my mom birthed seven children. So now she's lost two children, unfortunately. One in Haiti when she was young, and then Minnie and 33. Minnie was my mom. She, I would sleep on her chest. That was the only way I would fall asleep when I was a baby, is if, you know, Minnie held me on her chest and I fell asleep. And I was a little, she called me a little puppy because I would follow her everywhere, like I'd be under her feet, just chasing after her. Where are you going? Can I come to the movies with you? Oh, this, you know, that was a big sister. And she drove me to school my freshman year. It was so exciting. She lived in Louisiana with my other sister at the time. And I called her and said, Minnie, I got into Oregon State. Like, I'm going to college. Like, oh, I'm so excited. And she's like, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to rent a car. I'm going to drive up, you know, or I'm going to fly to Idaho, get the rental car. We're going to drive you to Oregon State. We're going to drive you to your freshman dorms. Oh, it's going to be so fun. Tell your best friend. We're picking her up. And we're, you, me, mom, and Zyra are driving up to, to Oregon State. So she comes, rent the car, we drive up and, you know, she said, my mom's crying because they dropped me off. My mom's crying and my friend's crying because, you know, I'm so close to them. My, my sister's like, I'm going to see her again. Why am I going to cry? This is like, goodbye. This is just, you know, this is the new step of your life. And after that day, we hadn't spent that much time together before she passed in. Family feuds, all these things, drama, you know, every family has drama. So, you know, sometimes you get to talk before you, they, you lose a family member. And the last conversation we had, we just said hi in passing. That was, like, you know, kind of the last conversation we had. And I'm like, whoa, you never know. And so I'm sitting at my desk. I worked at a front desk and my sister texts me, hey, are you free? And I'm like, I'm at work, but sure, what's up? She calls me and she's like, Christy, Manit's dead. And I was like what you're 
what are you talking about? Like, just, why would you call me? And don't, don't joke. Like, this isn't funny. And she's like, Chrissy, I'm serious. So I went to my manager and I'm like, I have to go home. My, my sister's dead. I have to go. So I go home and I'm one of, you know, like two or three black women in my sorority of over a hundred white women in Oregon. And the overflow of money, the overflow of just like everyone helping me and comforting me. And, you know, I'm like, now I see like, look at all these white people that were on my side, you know, to support me and my family. So I went home because I couldn't go home that same day. There's other things happening that my mom was like, don't, you had plans. So continue with the things you were going to do. It's hard, but continue with what you're going to do. Don't drop everything and come here because you're just going to be sitting in the house. So you had plans with your friend, go, go and spend time. You had a plan to, you know, see Portland, go with her and do that. And then come home because the funeral is not tomorrow. Like there isn't anything you're going to do if you come here right now, besides sit here and cry with us. So don't do that. Do your thing come home after. And so I come home and I'm the, I think because I was born here, sometimes a lot of the responsibility, which I'm so grateful for, I'm so happy to help my family, it falls on me. So here I am in October and then I come home and I'm all of a sudden planning a memorial service. I'm writing a eulogy. I'm helping plan a funeral service. I'm dealing with a bunch of different, you know, arguments with the family because of, you know, what we need to do and what needs to happen. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, I'm at school one day and then all of a sudden I'm planning a funeral for my sister and no mother should ever have to bury their child. After seeing, you know, after my sister's casket going down into the ground and sitting next to my mom holding my mom while she yelled out for her daughter, like why God did this happen? Um, it, in my bones, like it hurts my Bones and my mom is like America, like this country. And so, this man, he killed her. He wasn't arrested that day. So, what happened is they let him, I think they took him to the hospital because he said he had like chest pains or something and those lines. And they let him go home for two months. They let him go home and didn't do anything for two months. So, we're doing, you know, we have the memorial, we have the funeral, everything happens. And I'm like, okay. A white man hit my sister, he's not arrested. And every single moment and every single day, that's what we talk about. I'm like, it's gonna be hard to get through this, but I can't talk about this every single day. I can't live this every single day. And it's not fair to my nieces and nephews that live with my mom and sister to talk about this every day. There's no way to move forward past losing her. And so my mom was like, well, you have to go back to school, finish school up and you know. And so I go back to school. When I go back to my life of you know college and I call my mom around Thanksgiving and I'm like, so what's happened with the case? What's going on? She's like, he's not arrested yet. And oh my gosh, I was like, all right, I'm coming home for Thanksgiving and I'm not leaving until we figure something out. I go home and I post a video on Facebook and I'm just talking about how the fact that my sister isn't, you know, there's no been no justice served. What is going on? Like she died vehicular manslaughter under the influence of drugs that weren't his and some that were his, and he overdosed on those drugs. He fell asleep at the wheel. And I make this video, and then I have friends in my sorority, like everyone's calling the Boise Police Department. Everyone's doing, you know, so much. And then my sister had a friend who works with racial justice in Idaho, and she was able to, with all this momentum too of this video, was able to get a hold of the police 
chief of Idaho, of Boise. And so the next day, I post that video, the next day, I'm sitting in a room with the chief of police and the detective on the case of what in the world happened to my sister and this community killer. And the detective, we were told that the toxicology report needed to be sent to different states. And over those two months that I was at school, I was, you know, back and forth with different lawyers, asking questions, calling in the ACP, all these different things. And they're like, oh, it's time to take this a process, blah, 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 blah. Find out he's had the report for a little while. He has had the report and nothing has been done. So I record this whole conversation and he's like, oh, I passed by where she, you know, was hit and killed. And I think about it every day. And I'm like, no, you don't because you have the talk that you have what was in the system. And it's a ridiculous amount of drugs in the system. And you guys are messing him. What if he drove to Mexico? Are you guys watching him? Like, I would leave. Like, if don't give me a free pass, I would be out of here. Like, oh, actually, we haven't gone by, but, you know, we're going to see what we can do because, okay, yes, we do have all the information now. And I'm like, you've had this information. Meredith, the next day he was arrested. The next day he was arrested. And that just showed me if I said nothing, if my mom didn't say, Chrissy, he's not in jail yet. We're still waiting. We're still back and forth. If they didn't take advantage of two foreign people, my sister who speaks English well, but you know, has an accent, instantly profiled. And my mom, you're like, well, what does she say sometimes? They knew that they could just pass by and not have to do their job. And I came in and I was like, oh no, this isn't happening. The chief of police in the meeting was like, I'm very surprised, racist. I'm very surprised you came with, you know, you were prepared. Wow, you should work for the police department in Idaho, you know, Oregon. Like, oh, and he, oh my, I would, oh my God. Because he was surprised that a black person came prepared with questions about injustice that they weren't doing their job. And I, oh, he was just trying to crack jokes and make it light. And I'm like, if you guys don't arrest her, there, arrest this man, there's going to be, you know, we're going to have to raise hell. And so this man's a repeat offender. He used to steal for drugs. He has multiple offenses against him. And now, you know, this is his third or fourth offense. Our, you know, we didn't have money. So our public defender, you know, was asking for the maximum sentence for him. Vacuum manslaughter is 15 years and then however long. But this man had this, committed this crime and was already on parole. So he was already a criminal. He was a criminal who was let loose out into society again and took a life. And the negligence of the system, that's their fault, that he was out in the streets. And we found out the day before that the cops were called on him for disturbing, you know, the peace. And his neighbor knew that he was driving and told the police, you know, like, something bad's going to happen. Like, he's been driving and his him and his girlfriend have been fine. All this stuff has been happening. The next day, my sister died. The next day, she was killed. No one did anything. If someone were to go to his home and test him and realize that he had a lot of drugs in the system or he was, you know, he needed help. He was, you know, in a place where... He needed someone to probably reach out and be like, all right, like you're, something is wrong. Why are you fighting with your girlfriend? Why are you taking all these drugs? Like what stress is happening in your life? You're on parole. You're paying for assistance to help you as, you know, you're going through issues in life and you commit these crimes. That you're a drug addict. They let him loose and he was a white man. And just because he was a white man, they let him loose. And he took a life and they took, you know, my sister's life, our, you know, a part of our family. And he scotch free so 
basically the judge sentenced him to three years and with time served because of the time when he was arrested up until a couple of months that it was you know, dragged out for the sentencing. They included that time. So I actually flew back to Idaho just a couple of weeks ago for his parole hearing. And my mom and I sat and did the virtual parole hearing and, you know, I gave a statement. I wasn't able to finish my whole statement, but just begging them to not let him out in the streets and also calling out the system because they let him loose. They let this criminal out in the streets who obviously needed help. And so I told them, I was like, this is also on you guys that you took, you know, my sister's life because this quote unquote system that people have to pay into that doesn't help them isn't working. I was like, this isn't working. The rehab he had to take, that didn't work. The jail time he sent he was sentenced to, that didn't work. So if you let him out on the streets again, this is dangerous. You are putting people's lives at risk because my sister's life was taken by this man. And I told him, I was like, we don't blame you. We blame the system because they should have held you accountable for your crime. We should not be having this parole hearing today, two years after you took my sister's life. Like that should not be what's happening, but that's what's happening because we live in this country that black people aren't taken seriously. And there's no, like dogs have more, you know, people's hearts more than black lives. So in two years, have a parole hearing again. And, you know, same thing. And the judge said he shouldn't die in jail. The judge basically was like, you guys are making Max to be a terrible person. It's not a terrible person. He would go to stores and steal stuff to go buy drugs. He would literally, he almost hit, he killed someone. He almost hit multiple people, so many people in danger. And he's not being held accountable. He gets a slap on the wrist. And when the judge, my mom, because I couldn't come to all the court case, my mom was like, the judge said that we're trying to make him seem like a bad person. And I'm like, why is he taking it personally? Why is he taking it personally that a family wants justice for, you know, this crime? Max times 15 years for vehicular manslaughter. If there's drugs in your system, it's more time. Why do you get three years? Because he's racist. Because this system harbors so many prejudiced, discriminatory judges who have the power. What are we supposed to do? Just uprise and burn stuff down and then nothing happens? Like, these people have the power and they're elected. He was a judge for, I think, 28 years. All these judges who have so much power over people's lives have been doing it for so long and no one's holding them accountable because we don't pay attention. And until it happens to you, I have to say, because I'd see all these shootings, I'd see all these crazy things happening to black people around the country. And I'm like, oh man, like somebody else, like, oh God, like when I have kids, it's going to be so hard. Oh, being black is so hard. It's just tiring. And then my sister was killed. I was like, oh my God, it happened to me. Oh my God, it happened to my family. Oh, snap. <laughs> I think, you know, with everything that's happened and the strength I've seen in my family and my mom and just going through these things, it's made me the person that I am today to want to one day hold, you know, Boise Police Department and this judicial system in that state with 90%, you know, 91% my population, that people are coming into Idaho right now. And Idaho has the second largest KKK group. I'm pretty sure it's the second largest up in Northern Idaho. So big KKK group, big discriminatory issues. And, you know, a lot needs to move forward, but there was no justice. And that's what my family's pushing for. And I just appreciate you 
you know, ha- letting me tell this story again because more people need to hear it and more people that come to Idaho because it's a great way. You know, we just need to be educated and then we need to hold these people accountable because if I didn't hold that police, you know, the police department, if I didn't hold that detective who was doing his job accountable, that'd be another person who just got let off because of the history of our country. And yeah. I just think that it's kind of crazy when you were saying it, like the fact that you were in college and also doing this man's job, like, what are you doing? If I'm in college, I'm, what age were you? 22. 22 years old. And then they are like, you should join the department. Look at you being all prepared. Yeah, I'm prepared because this is a family member. Like, this is an actual, like, you actually, do you not understand? Let me just go to your family and kill your sister. How about that? Let's see what happens. Like, oh, I think you'll be prepared. If there's an injustice, you'll be prepared. So I think that it's kind of a joke that they even said those things. Like, the thing is, maybe I'm more like your sister because I'm like spicy and I'm going to tell you how it is. So like, that's why don't don't get me started. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I would say like, that's what's so sick. And the fact, like, just some things that you said, I'm like, mm, does he know the guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. three years is a joke. That's a sick joke. And so it would be interesting. I mean, this is work that you'd probably have to do and whatever. But it'd be interesting to see if there are other situations similar-ish to yours. You know, maybe it's a black guy who hit a white woman what situation happened there? You know, like maybe the same situation is whatever. Maybe it's white. I don't know what happens. How long did they go away? I know a story of someone who went away for seven years in California and it was just a white woman who was, who was hit by his car. He was on parole. She was injured. He went away for seven years to prison. So it's like, you know, she lived. Oh, and, oh yes. did she die? She lived. No, she lived. So it's like she lived and he still went to jail, prison for seven years. So it's like, you know what? Like, I just really, you guys, injustice has been done. If you hear this story, like it should be like a wake up call to you. Like just even the job that was done there, it just really does similarly remind me of the movie Just Mercy. Like, I don't know. And that was, that's, that's our true story. You guys, the man was just released one the guy, Ray was released 2019, 30 years on death row for doing nothing. Cause he looks suspicious. Like we just need to know these things. Like this is not okay. It's not okay. And I don't know. I could keep going. <laughs> I could keep going. And sometimes I just like, I wake up and I'm like, is this really happening? Like, is this really what's going on in the world? And sometimes you feel so helpless. And then you realize that, and I was talking to my sister about this. I was like, in a book that my friend is reading, White Fragility, and just talking about the concept, I haven't read the book yet, but he had recommended it to every single person in this country, which I know it's a top pillar right now. People need to read that because there's so much power within Black people there's so much opportunity. There's so, if black people really knew how great they were, how powerful they were, how much they impact the economy, black people make up, I guess the 2010 census, it was 13.4% of black people make up this country, but make up I think over 90% of the buying economy. 
Wow. Black people are spending their hard-earned money to all of these, you know, businesses and corporations that are profiting off of mass incarceration, profiting off of their consumption, profiting off of materialism, profiting off of the media that's construed to make us slaves to so many things and the power within the people that we are within African culture, within black culture, you think like, oh my gosh, this is some cool stuff. You think of the music, you think of the history, think of the strength. I'm going to say it, there was no, and I hate to say this, but there was no other human that could handle slavery. There was no other human who could genetically handle this abuse because there is so much greatness and power within us. We've been diminished for so long, but I think it's been kind of lost. Like, mm. hold on, every single black person, you are so powerful. You are so much more than anyone has ever, you know, told you if, you if you thought you weren't. And you have so much power within you to do so many great things. And as we continue to support black businesses, as we continue to just open the, to the fact that mass incarceration, police brutality, all of these things, they are going to change because we have to make them change. And we have to have these conversations like we are today. And we need your help. Like to anyone who has a heart, like you say, you have a heart. We need help. We can't do it yeah. alone because we didn't get here alone. Yeah. We've been playing, you know, this game of Monopoly has been played in this country. And we just got a spot on the board, you know, in the 60s. And we had no money. So now we have this money. And now it's like, you know, we own no land. How do you win this Monopoly game? You've been held back forever. Yeah. And yeah. we need just equity it's equality is not we can't just quickly become equal we need equity because in this level playing field we need it to be yes. level to be level yeah. we need history to be taught correctly and that just shouldn't even be like i just think that that's so like in my mind well duh like why i just don't understand and i'm thinking and i'm hoping that with our generation and with the generation of the kids it's going unfortunately it's going to be like that like going to get better because yeah. what generations past, you know, like I think that there's some, a lot of work to be done, but if we can start new and start fresh and start educating now and not now, but like, I don't even know everything that you said was so good. And I want for every single person of color, black woman, black man, if you're listening to this, I don't know who would be, but um, you know, to know that, yes, you have a voice and you matter and you are meant for great things, despite whatever adversity you've come up, come in contact with or co like had from anyone else. I want you to know that you matter, your voice matters and you have great things ahead of you, but you've got, I would say to like, get out of where we've put you, you know, get out of that and rise above it because you can you can, and we want to empower you to do that. And you have whatever it takes with inside of you. So use that. I don't know if that was very eloquent at all, but what do you, that what was do you, phenomenal. what do you have to say to leave everybody with the leadership podcast? You know, what are your last words for everyone, women, and especially mothers to lead, you know, what do you want to tell them? What do you want to leave them with? Something with that I was listening to other podcasts as well, which are so awesome. Um, John Maxwell is one of my favorite leaders, just in the sense of leadership and understanding that everyone's a leader because you have to lead yourself. 
everyone is a leader because you are leading your day. You are in so much power of, you know, how you respond to things. I think attitude, and that's something I'm just learning in my journey is the only thing I can control in my life is how I respond to things. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control what happens inside of me. And with everything that's happened, knowing and controlling what's happening inside of me and knowing that it is so crucial for people to understand that everyone's voice in this country can make such a big difference because within unity, there is strength and not enough people vote. You know, these are systems that are in place that aren't going to change tomorrow. So we need to use these systems that are here to benefit everyone. So people need to vote locally and educate their children how important it is when they are able to vote and understand who is representing their state, their community, the mayor, the governor. Obviously, if you're, you know, some people say, you know, if you're voting just for the president, it's too late because everything that's happening in your state, everything that's happening in your community, you have no, you know, you didn't make an impact. And to these teachers, people, you know, there's voting. I have friends who aren't getting raises because they have been defunding education continuously. These are things we need to make sure as people who are citizens in this country and for people who, you know, I have friends on DACA and it's like, I'm voting for you and me. I'm voting because since you can't and you belong here too, I'm going to make sure that my voice is heard and that's part of your voice too. Because for right now, that's something that we're dealing with. But Everyone needs to vote. Everyone needs to educate themselves and everyone needs to treat each other with love and respect because it starts there and it starts with empathy. Yeah. <laughs> it just starts with having hope because within hope, you know, that rises the tide. It really raises, you know, the future and we have to overcome history. So keep watching those documentaries, keep educating your children, having those conversations, vote. Oh, it's so important to vote and understand the system because we can make change, understand that signing these petitions and understanding, you know, brutality, always speak out, always speak out. And something, even if you're not sure if it's suspicious or not, speak out, ask questions and, you know, help reach that hand out and tell your children to be those catalysts in the world that'll make that change because we're all human. There's not all these different races. It's the human race. Yes. It is the human race. And we all just, need to bring the best out of each other and come together to not mindlessly go through life selfish and outward think because it'll expand you know our hearts and the world yeah absolutely oh my gosh like amen mic drop leave it there i love that that was so good and i would like to just add a little bit like you know with your kids with my kids in particular like to like you said reach out Today, John Maxwell says, wake up and say, who can I serve today? Have the mindset of who can I serve? How can I help? That is just, you know, the heart of service. See, everyone has a story. Like you said, listen, you guys, everyone has a story. Be open to listen. Do not judge. Do not judge. I love that you said that that man, my gosh, your heart, the man who did that to your sister, you're like, he needed help. Like, you know, he needs to go away and serve his time because there are consequences, but just know that everyone has a story and you guys, I am so excited for you to share this podcast, share it with everyone, get this out there. And thank you so much, Christy, for your time. You're such a blessing. And I just am so appreciative of you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I'm just grateful to be moving forward. Yeah. 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 So good. Thank you, girl.
If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. I love hearing from you guys. Tag me on Instagram and make sure you subscribe and leave me a review and tell us what you love most about this podcast. Don't forget to send this episode to someone in your life who you know needs to hear this message. I love adding value to all of you. So thank you so much for listening and sharing. It means the world to me. Oh, 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 oh,